But it's pretty cool. We've been talking two strokes now, two shows in a row. Oh, nice. All Nick wants to do is talk about strokes. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Two Authors Chat Show, an entertaining podcast with two best-selling authors connecting readers with an eclectic array of distinguished guests through lively conversation and interviews. Hosted by mystery suspense and thriller writers, Douglas Pratt and Nicholas Harvey. Welcome to this week's show, everyone. Hope everyone's having a great holiday because uh, yesterday was Christmas and that makes today, what is this day again? Boxing Day? Today is Boxing Day. Boxing Day? What What the hell is Boxing Day? Anyway, that's totally not an American thing. We're like just sleep in the couch kind of day. Right. It's when you go around to your neighbors who've pissed you off all year and you box them on the nose. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, that's good, that's huh? like a, that sounds like a day I could get behind. Like just yeah, you get behind that. Yeah, right after the holidays. So no, it has <laughs> nothing to do with beating up your neighbor day. It's um, traditionally back in the days of yore. It's actually when the gifts were given. So that's when they were boxed up and gave the gifts. You gave the gifts the day after Christmas. Well, it's the monarchy gave out gifts to the poor. You know, they go around and oh. like, here, minions, have something. How nice of them! <laughs> yes, the bottom line is it's a national holiday, so you can poo-poo it all you want, but we get an extra day. It's a off, national so. holiday in England. It's nothing here. Here we're back to work because we're crappy (laughs) yeah because you don't give people time off (laughs) so which would you rather have i'm gonna stick with boxing day i'll tell you that one that's fair fair enough actually i like that right now i don't have to answer i can do whatever i want to i can't work with anybody anymore so i've I've become unsociable unsociable was that you dinging did you forget to mute mute your stuff did uh, you know i've also got a book coming out today and you do. The day of recording this, Playa comes out, huh? Yeah. Playa came out today, so I do get a lot of messages. You know how that works. So Yeah. So by the time this airs, Playa will have been to the top of the charts. and Let's hope so. And already on the decline. Sure. <laughs> already on the decline by the time this comes out again. Well, hopefully it stays up there. Hey, let's do a listener question, shall we? Yes, let's do one. All right. Let me, uh, you put this in here from someone, and I haven't even read it yet. So let's see. What is an iconic food from your area and where are you taking a visitor who has to try it? And this is from a fellow author, Arlie, is it? Arlie Jacobs? Arlie Jacobs, yes. Yeah, who writes the Team Cult series. Okay, so iconic food. I like food. So I'm from Memphis. We are going to have to go to barbecue because Memphis has the best barbecue in, in the world, really. So. I will probably take them down. We got a place downtown called Blue City Cafe, which makes the best ribs. You know, I think I took you down there. I took, took you when we went down to when you were in Memphis. We went down and had you didn't have you didn't have ribs, but your your lovely wife did. So. She did. Yeah, she's a carnivore. I'm a pescatarian, so uh, I think you had a catfish, and it was it's pretty good down there too. But I would definitely go for barbecue. Yeah, it was good. It was. I did have the catfish. It wasn't as good as Cheryl's dad's catfish used to be when he was alive he but he uh grilled a mean mean catfish but it was good so how about you sir so i assume we'll just say the area you're in now or the area you're from yeah really which do i go with i I am no bad i go with the area i go with where you're from if you're if we were back in your own (laughs) land where 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 would you take me to to eat the fish and chips a good old staple or uh down one of the pubs for uh 
breakfast fry up or something like that, you'd enjoy a breakfast fry up in the UK. I, I, who wouldn't love it? I love a breakfast fry up in the UK. That's one of those. They make a mean breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. They know how to do breakfast. I'm a, pretty much a non foodie because I'm a fussy bastard with what I eat. I have a really, uh, it drives my wife nuts because she is a foodie. And uh, I'm fairly uninterested. <laughs> <laughs> uninteresting and un- uninterested in most food. I, it's like I like food. You can tell by the size of me, I like food, but I'm just not a foodie. But around here, we're in. Uh, so as as we're recording this, we're in Newport Beach, California, where we're staying for a few months in the house. And if I was to take you somewhere here, I would take you for fish tacos. Ah, I do love fish tacos. Baja fish tacos. So the style done in. Baja, California, which is, uh, and in fact, it's only a couple hours and we could nip down to uh, Baja, Mexico and go to a uh, taco stand down there, which is pretty cool. You know, I would, I would be down for like a taco stand tour of California and Mexico. I mean, that'd be, oh my God. you can't beat a taco. Tacos are the best. Like, you know, tacos are yeah. great. You, you know, you can live on tacos for the rest of your life, I think. Some people are scared of the Mexican uh, taco stands, but if ah, uh, no. but they are the best. They are the best. Well, you know, when we were in Puerto Vallarta researching Playa, we man, I ate so much tacos. Like those taco stands were phenomenal, and you could go in there and buy like ten tacos for five dollars. It was just amazing. Those stands were so good, and you get to like the good spices, a little green sauce, and it's awesome light your ass on fire with it. So. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm saying, oh yeah, like I like that, but I'm I'm a spice wuss, so I I, I can wasabi. <laughs> I can wasabi like see, nobody I else. Yeah, I don't care for wasabi that much. I, I mean, love it's okay, it. but uh, I love I'll wasabi. Some, like some, some good hot sauce with that, man. Cheryl makes like uh, wasabi mashed potatoes because I'll take was hell. I'll put wasabi on my cereal. I love wasabi. I put wasabi up my nose once. It was a dare. <laughs> I don't recommend it, by the way. I do not recommend putting wasabi up, you know. But no, when it I comes, don't think so. No, but when yeah. it comes to peppers, I'm a, I, I how, don't how, really like How old hot. were you when you did that? I, I'm just curious. So. Embarrassingly mature. <laughs> it was a Is that like That sounds like the, uh, we used to have this, when I worked in the restaurant business, we had this uh, a food runner, Buzz Boy, who, just a great kid, but he was not the brightest, you know, bulb in the batch. And he would do anything you asked him to do. Like, we were like, hey, take a spoonful of cinnamon and eat it. And he'd do it. And you can't swallow it. It's terrible. It's, it's, I, I could see that we would have talked him into doing that too. Yeah. He was, we were mean. He was, he was a great kid, though. He was awesome. A good friend of mine from Finland, Marcus Niemler, who was, uh, lived with us for a while. And he was a race car driver. I, I, I was his race engineer. He's a wonderful guy with great friends. And uh, he dared me in a sushi restaurant. He said, you will be my hero for the rest of your life if you put wasabi up your nose. I'm like, well, hero for the rest of your life. Come on. Oh, there you go. Yeah. so You can't walk away from that. How long did it take your eyes to stop watering? Like 20 minutes. It was like, oh, this is going to be okay. And then it was like, oh, no, this is not going to be okay. And then, of course, the first thing that happens is you go, you go, and like, like, and you suck it up. <laughs> it yes. Suck it up. Yeah. Instead of sneezing it out, it sucked it up. And that's it. It was all through my sinuses. And, and then it felt like my head it was exploding. I bet the sinuses were clear for weeks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I could breathe easy. All right. Let's get to our show here because uh, we have a great guest. Nate Van Koop, who we met at the Nink conference for the first time. He's a 
great author, and he has been writing time travel books for a while and is hugely successful. And he just recently switched over into the Tropical Author Group and put out uh, Tropic Angel, his first uh, release, which has done exceedingly well. Great guy. Let's chat with him, huh? Nate, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome to the show. Yes, welcome, welcome. I appreciate you guys having me. Let's just start off. Tell us a little bit about what drove you into becoming an author and a little bit about your background. Well, I heard that if I go to enough author conferences, I'll meet guys like you. I said, (laughs) well, that signed me up. (laughs) That should have made you run. That's fair. All the motivation I needed to get into the business. I was never one of those people that I, sometimes I listen to podcasts I'm like, Oh, I started writing my first novel when I was five years old. And then I said, you know, I was never that motivated. <laughs> and, uh, I was vaguely creative. I did like to draw and do other things. So, and I'm, I've always been kind of a interested in everything kind of guy. So eventually my interests did wander into writing and I was fortunate enough to have some people that were encouraging me in that department. But I was initially writing like travel logs. I was driving around the country in a Volkswagen Beetle in 2005 with spotty internet and uh, would occasionally stop and you know shoot off emails to let my family and friends know that I was still alive. It was a pretty long, I mean, at the time for, for an email list, it was you know, not, a, not an actual email list. It was just me clumping a bunch of emails into a into an email uh, and the CCing everyone. But it was, you know, maybe a hundred some odd people that were kind of like keeping track of my my journey around the country. And that was kind of like my first taste of what it's like to have subscribers and such. And um, I really enjoyed the, the feedback. I, I made them funny. I made the stories funny. That's a start, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you can make people laugh, if you can make people ask when's the next one, it's a hook. And once that gets into you, they're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to keep doing this because the feedback's so good. So when was your, uh, when did you write your first book? I started playing around with it in 2008. I wrote maybe the first eight or 10 chapters, had no idea what I was doing. And then I um, sat on it for quite a few years and then eventually joined a writer's group in 2011 or so. And then that was all the inspiration I needed. Like actually having to show up with material made a huge difference. And we all had to sit, you know, read each, there was three of us that were writing novels at the time. And I finished that book in like six months after that, because I had that accountability, which was huge. So that was my first uh, time travel story. You said something that I, I'm wondering, like, you know, how many writers actually start with a, I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> like you made that comment, like, I didn't really know what I was doing. Like, I, I, I'm curious. There's gotta be somebody out there who's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Most days I get up and go, God, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's crazy. Still. So how many books do you have in your time travel series? That's a good question. Maybe 10-ish, somewhere in there. Depends on when you ask him, right? <laughs> <laughs> Past, present, or future. Books. That's right. It's um, got to be confusing. <laughs> that's, thank you, Doug. That, Doug's time travel humor. <laughs> it's like dad humor, but yesterday. <laughs> Nerdy dad jokes are the best. Um, I do what I can, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I started out with that, and I wrote four books in the original series. Then I have a couple of novellas or short books that go along with it. And then there's another four-book series on top of that uh, that's a spinoff. So 10 titles and a couple box sets. 
always indie published? Yes, and I started at a really good time. I had read the book Write, Publish, Repeat yep. early on by Johnny, Sean and Dave, I think, at, from the self-publishing show podcast. And they had put that book out pretty early on. There was another book prior to that, and I'm blanking on the name, but it was very similar. And the two of them together kind of inspired me into you know, publishing as an indie. And I also learned so much more later on about how the traditional publishing system works and why they accept or reject things. And it made sense. So I had submitted to a few agents and things, but I was writing this, you know, out there time travel adventure. And now as a publisher, looking back on it, I'd be like, oh, I get why this would be really hard to market as a big traditionally published publishing house, especially a first book in a series with no, like when you're, it's like, would I want to take on some brand new author with a brand new book who has no following? I don't know if they're going to write another book or not. So when you're an indie, you can bet on yourself because you know yourself, you know, whether you're going to follow through or not, and you can double down on something, even if it's not making money, you know, if it's just making coffee money, that's coffee money. It's not going to run a publishing house. It's not like it's not going to be worth it to anyone else to do it, but you can do it. And then, you know, all of a sudden book one turns into book two and now your coffee money is, you know, starting to pay a couple bills. And then now you're you know, okay, okay, now I can do book three and it, uh, then you're compound, Taco Bell money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you're, you're compounding on your successes and, you know, hopefully turning around and putting that money back into the business and, you know, cover designs and all that stuff. And I learned all that. And um, I loved it. And also the fact that you can stumble into this community and then have such a supportive group. It was just a great time to be an indie writer. Like starting around 2012, 2013, I published my first book actually in 2013, I think. That was the golden years to get get started, right? Yeah. My second book came out in 2015. And then uh, after that, I've basically been putting out a book a year, more or less ever since. And um it's been great. Like the, I've just, some of the people that I reached out to then to connect with the authors I talked to are still my close friends now. And we were back then, we had one book, two books out and it, we've kind of gone on this journey together over the last 10 years. And it's so cool to see where we all are now by comparison and also to be able to reach back and help those people that are just getting on the, the bottom of the ladder now and, you know, keep assisting them up, up in the climb. So now you have two pen names now. So all your time travel stuff is under Nathan Van Koops, and you contracted to Nate Van Koops for your new tropical author thriller, Tropic Angel. Just to be really well. super sneaky, you know. Super I just, sneaky. I slide so in mysterious. There. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you figure that out, Nick? How did you figure it he, out? He's pretty smart. Don't 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 let him. <laughs> yeah, I, I write mysteries with complicated plots, so I it took me a day, but I got there. So, but the, it's weird how you use the same fo- author photo too. Like, in, like you, that was how you're like, I'm yeah. gonna really throw him off. And it's like, wow, this guy looks like him, but they got the same names. Crazy. They got they got a different shirt on. Though. Put a mustache. I have a friend who who did that. She she put a mustache on for her one of her pen names, and I, I oh laughed my god, so hard I saw that's it. great. So explain a little bit uh, the mentality behind that. You want to keep them separate for marketing purposes, correct? I do, because if there's one thing that I've learned now that I wish I would have learned early on is that genre is everything in publishing, in success, in marketing. Knowing your genre, sticking to your genre, marketing in your genre, 
understanding how different genres are and not trying to mash them together. That was probably my greatest mistake as a publisher, not as a writer, because like I love to write whatever I want to write. And I've never regretted it from a writing standpoint. But some of my books are some funky mashups of really different genres that I'm piecing together in a place where it only exists where my book is. Like when you put the Venn diagram up and like, where do these two genres connect? Oh, only in Nathan Van Cooper's book. <laughs> this is the only spot, which is a very difficult way to market a book. It's a sell a book. It's a great way to write an original story, but it's a terrible way to sell it <laughs> because uh, there's nothing else like it. People think that they want fresh, new, yeah, I was original gonna say, stories. Everyone says they want different, but they don't. They do not. <laughs> they don't. That is a lie. That is a yeah. big lie. So for me, the move to write as Nate Van Coops was like, I'm going to start fresh. I do not want my also bots all full of time travel books because Amazon is a, an algorithm that needs to know what it's selling. And I needed to just come to Amazon and be like, here's a fresh piece of content. Please fill it with also bots from you guys. And what, I'm so happy. I was just looking at my page today and it's just nothing but Don Rich books down there. It's like sponsored products, like oh, similar books, all Don Rich. I'm like, okay, I'm fine with that. So it's like, <laughs> I'm good with it. If I see, I see your your books, Doug. I see your books, Nick. Like I'm like that is exactly, exactly what I'm just, just setting uh-huh. out to do. I didn't even tell anybody. It, who's Who's Don Rich? Doug, do you know a guy called Don Rich? No, I, I, yeah, I got, I don't know him at all. So he's, yeah, that's yeah. specially for I would, Don. I would we love you, Don. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Don. That's for you. I've got a question though. Time travel question. So, like, I have enough trouble keeping who is who in my books. How do you do that when you alter? I mean, how do you keep the details and the timelines right in a time travel book? And the rules. Yeah, what, the time are, what, are, what are the rules in your time travel book? So, And there are so many rules in time travel, and there are so many ways to break them badly that I had to come up with. I think that's part of why it took me four years to write that first book was that I came up with this entire system of time travel. And it's it works in, in the story there are rules. And if you stick to those rules, it makes sense. And I think the entire reason why I have an author career right now is because I nailed that particular genre. I wrote a book that was a straight up time travel adventure story. And people who like time travel don't like there to be a bunch of plot holes and things wrong with the time travel. And because I thought it out so well, and I made a system that worked, people were like, yes, I want more of this. And so I wrote more books in that series. And people were with me on it. And then later on, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to branch out into like mystery thriller time travel and other stuff. And that was fun, but harder to market, like I said. But having consistency in, in your own world is, is huge in time travel. Well, hey, let me back up here for you because I do have an idea. I want an idea. I've got to, I want to pitch you for a time travel book. I've had this idea for a while. I'm thinking I want a, a time travel. I got to invent time travel, but he only uses it to go back in time to get delivery from places that went out of business. That's actually pretty funny because like my time travelers do that. They'll go back to restaurants that they like. And they're like, oh, no, no, it wasn't in business. Oh, then. It's yeah, only in business like, oh, here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Definitely. I would like to get the McRib, but not in Christmas time. I want to go in July and get a McRib from McDonald's so I can get time travel. <laughs> my wife wants the caramel apple empanada from Taco Bell. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> she can go back. She's like, I can't believe they got rid of the caramel apple empanada. I mean, I think that's a viable use for time travel. Perfectly legitimate. And, and it always shows up hot. You know, if you use time travel for delivery. That's true. You don't have to worry you, about, yeah, everything. It's always be, fresh. 
No, I think like, you could even like to get there. You could even like take people back to relive their first date, like in a restaurant that's long since closed down. Like it's their 50th anniversary. So you charge a lot of money. It's like time travel tourism. Oh my God. What a train wreck that would be. Every, every time you come back to current time, it's like just a wasteland because you'd completely screwed up. The, <laughs> completely. You know, like what we do but this not time. Not in the multiverse. Not in the <laughs> multiverse. That's right. Not oh. in the multiverse. We got fine. Every time you go back, it's just, you've just ruined another earth. Yes. So. I'm already confused. I, I, I'm on page one of my own book. I'm writing about time travel. I'm like, now wait, what did I do wrong? I, I screwed it up already. All right, let's talk about your tropical books because now you're branched out, completely different genre. It's not completely different because it's still kind of mystery, adventure, but now without the time travel element, right? And Tropic Angel did really well as a first book in the in the genre. So tell us about that and writing that. I had a blast because like, there were two different parts of my brain and kind of two different parts of my world that I was existing in. I've been in aviation as a career since I was a teenager. I, I, I soloed an airplane when I was 16 before I even had a driver's license. My parents had got me into flying lessons. They knew this guy had this little Cessna 150 in a grass field down the street from our house. And you somehow was giving flying lessons. And they one day said, hey, do you want to take lessons? I said, absolutely, I do. And I've been hooked ever since. So I ended up in aviation maintenance, mechanic examiner for the FAA now is one, is one of the jobs I do where I get to a proctor test for people that want to become aircraft mechanics. I used to manage a maintenance shop for a while. And I have my own plane. I have a small plane that I get to fly around. And that has been a, a deep love of mine for you know 25 years. And it only just finally occurred to me <laughs> that maybe, maybe I should actually try writing a story using this 25 years of... of you know, I never claim to be brilliant, you know, like it's, it's, I'm a little slow. <laughs> Write what you know. That's the first key to, to writing. Right? He's, so like, he's like, time, time travel. travel. Time travel. That went I right know over time my, travel. That advice, yeah. I heard that advice went right over my head. But better late than never, I finally have figured out that maybe I, I have something to bring to the table there. Because when you enter a new genre, uh, especially something like the tropical you know, author genre, there's a lot of familiarity there where you come in and this is a well-worn road in terms of tropes, in terms of characters. Like we've seen various incarnations of this main character a zillion times. And that's what people want. People want to see the same, but different. I knew what needed to be the same. You know, like I've got a guy, he's ex-military. He lives on a boat. Like there's a lot of kind of standard tropes that exist in the genre that I could do the same. And the way I could do a little bit different was to add in the aviation element because there was less of that. It's, it's already popular in the genre. I could double down on that in a way that I knew was going to be authentic and realistic and very much like the sci-fi readers who are very particular about their time travel, pilots are very particular about their aviation fiction as well. When we watch movies or it's just like seeing a plot hole where if you see an airplane that doesn't do something that it does on film, for example, you see some guy like crawl through the landing gear and somehow end up in the cabin and you just want to throw a shoe at the television because it just (laughs) doesn't work that way. (laughs) And um, there's so many times that that happens that uh, it's, it's very similar to my frustration when I first started writing time travel, like all the things that they were sweeping under the rug and not dealing with, I was so frustrated. So the same with, with aviation. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to play by the rules. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure, right? Because you've got to get it. And there's a balance, right, between details 
and info dumping a bunch of tech details about flying and planes versus keeping people in the in the story who who maybe aren't tech minded. Have you found it tricky to balance that? It is, but I think I managed it in book one. And I think that it's most important in book one because after that, people are invested in the characters. It's just those first couple chapters where they're like, mm, they're, they're waiting for you to screw up. They're like, give me an excuse to throw this book in the trash and I will. Because they're, they're so ready. If they're looking at the look inside on Amazon, because I put Aviation Thriller right in the subtitle for the series. So people are like, okay, I expect this to be right. And me as a pilot, I'm the same way. If I read an aviation book and it's clear from you know, page two that this person has ever flown a plane before, I'm less likely to continue. But I knew I could do that well. And the reviews have, have showed out that, okay, occasionally I'll get a review where like, okay, there wasn't as much technical detail as I expected. Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Because I, I that. want... Yeah. I got it both ways on diving. <laughs> they get some people are like, well, it's a little got off a little too much about that. And other people are like, do more of the diving, more of the diving. It's like you can't please everybody. I do. I do have another uh, a flying question. So, have you ever actually done any writing on autopilot? Interestingly enough, I tell this story a lot. Is that the very first story I ever wanted to write occurred to me while flying? I had. It's, it was kind of a boring job, even though it was a fun job. I used to fly a traffic patrol plane in Baltimore area. I used to fly out of Westminster, Maryland, and I would do morning and afternoon rush hour traffic with this guy named Detour Dave. And we would Detour just Dave. That needs to be a character in a book right there. If you don't put yeah. Detour Dave in there, that's just awesome. So like, I would fly five hours a day. 1400 feet just circling traffic accidents we would be like little vultures up there there was four airplanes and two helicopters and we would just fly around and find where the accidents were and circle around and there are whoever was on board with us would would report the the news and such and i don't even know if they still do that it might be all traffic cams at this point but it was fun but as i was flying around up there one day this balloon just sort of drifted by and it happens pretty i passed one the other day i took some friends flying a couple weeks ago and same thing happened. Um, someone had let a helium balloon go and just sort of drifted by. So they don't go up that high. They only go up to a certain altitude depending on the density. They just hang And then they fall into the ocean and exactly. kill Exactly. Then they, they kill, find yeah, the exactly. ocean. Yeah. So people don't use helium balloons because Damn they're things. bad for the yeah, earth. It's, yeah. it's awful for the environment. Yeah, you're going to kill a bunch of sea turtles and stuff. In any case, I saw it float by and it triggered in my head, what if there was more stuff up here? It just like lived up here, like seaweed, like kelp. What if we had like an ocean, the sky was like the ocean. And that ended up becoming my book, Faster Than Falling, which is kind of a science fiction world where that happens. It's on a, takes whole thing takes place on a planet where there's creatures and, and, and animals and people that live in the sky. And it ended up being what inspired me to become a writer in a lot of ways, even though that wasn't the first story I ever wrote, it was too big for me and I wasn't ready to write it yet. But I did eventually write it. And I had an absolute blast getting that out. But it occurred to me from while flying around, that's pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you hear <laughs> Nina singing 99 Luft Balloons the whole time when these balloons go by? <laughs> and do you hear the English or German versions? <laughs> Gotta listen to the German versions because, yeah. The German anyway, version is the best one. Yeah. So, okay, oh, we, way better. Way that. better. That's going to be in our show notes. Somebody put it on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was Compared 99 red, red balloons in the English version, right? Because Luftballoon is air balloon and they didn't want to say air balloon. So anyway, 
in your bio, you talk about motorcycles and VWs. You already said you toured the country in a VW Beetle, an original VW Beetle, Twice. of course. Twice. Twice, yeah. Twice. And so what are the bikes? I'm a bike guy, so I got to hear about the mi- motorcycles. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I recently had to sell my bike, which was a bit of a hit. But I have a, had a Honda uh, CB450, a 1972 uh, Honda CB450, which was very classic vintage it was kind of a, one of those barn finds where it only had 1700 miles on it when i got it it just happened to roll into my maintenance hanger back when i was uh, running the shop this kid had fa- had traded it he had traded a kayak for it on craigslist i think and it didn't oh, run right, he just sort of rolled it in here and this teenage kid like he was he and then he went out and wrecked his jeep he went bouldering with his jeep and tore his axle off or something so he needed the money to fix his Jeep and the, the bike was just sitting there. And he's like, Hey, by the way, do you want to buy a motorcycle? And, and I had known from the second it rolled in the hangar, like I don't need a motorcycle. I don't want a motorcycle. But if I ever did buy a motorcycle, that's the one I would want. And then sure enough, he just walked up to me one day. I was like, Hey, you want to buy this motorcycle? I'm like, oh, yes. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I do. And uh, I taught myself to ride it on the airport property. Cause all the taxiways and stuff around the hangars was the perfect place to just get on a bike and ride around. And then, okay, uh, Tom like, Cruise. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was, it is. Airports are amazing spots for for motorcycles because there's, you know, nobody else out there. I mean, you have to make sure you don't turn a corner and run into a propeller, which you know would be tragic. <laughs> That's but, Indiana but, Jones right there. <laughs> yeah. So I would tootle around town for a while on that, and it, 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 it was a lot of fun for a lot of years. But then once you start having small kids and stuff, I just and then. I, we bought a plane. So my wife was like, okay, well, you've got enough. You've still got the Volkswagen. You've got the plane. Something's got to go. And I'm like, all right, fine. We'll, uh, we'll plane, the bike. plane plane, trumps a motorcycle, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was an okay trade. I was okay with it. But it's pretty cool. We've been talking two strokes now, two shows in a row. Oh, nice. All Nick wants to do is talk about strokes. <laughs> <laughs> you have also, when you were at Nink, you, you brought around what is – Nick would say it's the coolest dog. I, you know, we have pretty cool dogs too. You know, I think you have a pretty cool dog. Tell us a little bit about your dog oh, there. Super yeah, he was cool awesome. dog. Atticus yeah. is the best dog. He comes to work with me, which is great. He's like kind of the airport dog, a mascot. And he was a big inspiration for putting a dog in my book as well. Tropic Angel, the, the main aren't character. Dogs, dog dogs in your everywhere. books are great, aren't they? They are. You just have to remember they have them. Yeah. Don't forget where they are. I forgot. I had a had a dog with one of, the, one of the main support characters in the first book, and then when I wrote the second one, like three years later, I forgot about the dog. So, like in book four, they have they have a puppy, and they mention the old dog went to you know doggy heaven. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, by the way, yeah, my second book, I'm actually setting it over in the Bahamas, which is tough because you can't take the dog. And I'm like, oh, it's like there's it's an international issue. You know, you have to have your dog clear customs. I thought about just smuggling him along. But again, trying to be believable. Yeah, and you can't, and you can't, you can't kill the dog. So once you, no, you yeah, know, we talked never. about that with with Kyla last week. You can't kill the dog. It doesn't matter who no. else survives. The dog survives. So yeah, cockroaches and dogs survive everything. So has Atticus been flying with you? Does he like flying? He has, and it's a little loud for him. I don't know that it's his favorite thing in the world, but he would rather be with me than not be with me. So he will happily hop up in there and just be backseat dog, and it's very much just like riding around in a car. Uh, maybe just a little bit louder because um, I don't think they make dog headsets or if they do, I haven't found them yet. 
yeah, he'll he'll ride along. Sometimes we'll go find some like fun grass strips to go land on and go get gas somewhere, and he'll romp around and check out all the sites at these other airports. and And everyone loves to meet him whenever he hops out of the plane. So, what's next? What's next, Nate? Is uh, what's the next book you're uh, working on? I'm still working on. I'm working on the next uh, the sequel to, to Tropic Angel, uh, which right now is called Tropic Descent, and it's going to be a continuation of the story. I'm hoping to do several more of these books. I've got them in the works and I've finally got the audiobook coming out for Tropic Angel in the spring, which I'm super excited about. I, I got on uh, Scott Brooks' schedule, so he's going to be Damn. reading it for me, which is fun. That's How did you do that? Right I would love to get Scott Brick. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it was really cool to, to finally get the nod on that and sign the contract. It, only a couple weeks ago, finally, I actually got it inked. And I just can't wait to, to hear him bring the story to life and the characters to life. And yeah, it's, it's, it's such a different experience, like hearing someone else perform your book. And uh, it's all one of my favorite parts of the process. So I'm hoping to have book two, two of the series written or pretty close to done after the audiobook for book one comes out and then kind of just keep that ball rolling and uh, you know, capitalize on that. Cool. Well, we'll put links in the uh, show notes to uh, your time travel stuff and uh, Tropic Angel, of course. And uh, now you get your favorite part. Doug is going to spin the wheel. That's right. We're going to spin yes. the wheel. Let's do Everybody it. Are ready? Oh, we might need a new wheel. So what was the first movie you saw in a theater? I'm a big movie guy. And I would sometimes go to, to a theater four times to see something that I think just really struck me. And so I, I have a list of movies that I've seen four times in the theaters. I don't really remember what would have been the first movie I went to go see on my own. It was probably something random, like Encino Man or something. Uh, in the 90s. Man. Yeah. Um, but I do remember certain movies that just hit me. I remember I was doing my flight instructor training out in Nevada one time. It was in Bullhead City, Arizona, actually. But I was staying on the Nevada side of the, the river. And I was staying in a casino. And they had a free movie theater. And I and at the time, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was playing. Oh, oh great movie. Great movie. It, partly because I was just staying there for a week with nothing else to do. But I went and saw that movie four times. Like in that little theater. It was like I had my own private little theater and go watch Oh Brother, Art Thou. And I can still quote that to this day because it was such a fun film. That is. Um, oh, my, my wife often quotes that when she says, I said my piece in Canada 3. <laughs> <laughs> she would tell me that all the time. I said my piece in Canada 3. <laughs> I still like, I, one of my favorites was, uh, ain't this place a geographical oddity? Two weeks from <laughs> Two everywhere. Weeks everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Dapper Dan man. That is a great movie. I fell in love with uh, Alison Krauss and Union Station after that too like that movie just kind of like man it really brought out some uh great bluegrass oh and, yeah uh yeah that's such uh, a oh that's such an awesome movie. man yeah. of constant sorrow I and mean, that song oh yeah that's a great you know, song a yeah big heyday yeah absolutely great writing and of course it's based on the odyssey by homer which was really fun the way they did that, the way they did it was yeah, really fun it was really awesome. it. they really had fun with that and you can tell it shows I want to go watch it again now. It's made me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that is such a good movie. It's awesome. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks so much for, for having me. I, this was a blast. I was had a great time. Well, thank you, Nate. He, I told you he's wow, a cool he's guy. He's awesome. Huh? 
Well, I you did. knew. I it. knew. I, we hung out with him and his dog. It was awesome. So coolest dog, coolest dog in the world. So what's exciting in in your world these days, Doug? Recovering from the holiday, you know, hangover of turkey and presents and family and stuff, and actually heading down to your old neck of the woods, heading down to Florida. I'm going to do a little diving down here in Fort Lauderdale and do some shore diving off there. So for the next few days, yeah, looking forward to that. So someplace warm. Watch for the currents. Yeah, should be yeah. fun. Yeah, we're doing that. We're going to do that to Lauderdale by the sea, do some of that. When this airs, we will have been in Charlotte area with my uh, brother, his family, and my mom. So we'll, we're looking forward to the uh, holidays with them. And then we're coming back. Uh, we fly back here to Newport Beach, and we'll be staying here for a little longer. I'm currently writing Lighthouse Point, which is the next A.J. Bailey book, um, and that'll be coming out in January. So it'll be written, hopefully, by the time I fly to my family for Christmas, it should be done. And off to the uh, editor for first of the year. So uh, that's coming along nice. It's the first book I've written that involves car racing, which is my, obviously, if anyone knows me, it's my background before I took up full-time You've never writing. mentioned that. <laughs> I've never mentioned it before. Our next guest will be in the new year, so our next show will be coming out next year. So for most of you guys, we won't be around. Yeah, we're actually recording this a little ahead of time, so I don't even know who we've, we've got someone lined up, but I can't remember who it is. So it'll be really exciting. It'll be something fun. It's going to be something cool. So yeah. yeah. So folks, thank you so much. Hope you guys had a really uh, great holiday. Be well. Happy New Year. Next time you're subjected to us will be the new year. Um, so be safe. And uh, subscribe to the show if you get a chance. Give us a five-star review if you wouldn't mind. Check out our show notes for links to our books, uh, the social media, and also Nate's information. Then um, we'll look for new episodes next year. And we'll be out every two weeks. Until then, be cool to each other. Fair winds and following sea. You've been listening to the Two Authors Chat Show with Nicholas Harvey and Douglas Pratt.